Hi, this is Debbie Taylor Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. Oh Lord, we're excited again to open the Bible to explore and to learn. Help us listen well and learn and do. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so you've got your listening guide. Do you like having the listening guide? Is it helping you to take notes? So if you like using your listening guide, you have it. And again, we are seeing the same thing. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. And they are walking in newfound power. They are not the weak, fearful people that they were before the Holy Spirit came. And we see that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells the council, tells the Sanhedrin, that there is no other name given among men under heaven of which one can be saved except, say it with me, Jesus Christ. And so he goes on, and we are going to see how he is going to explain that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is going to be going over all of this information, and we see that the persecution now begins, doesn't it? Last week, we saw how Peter showed up, he looked up, he raised up, and he spoke up, and God performed a miracle through him by which he was glorified. And this week, we are going to see he is what? Locked up, right? In verses 1 through 4, Peter is locked up because of what he did in the name of Jesus. Let's read in Acts 4, 1 through 7. Actually, 1 through 4. This is a continuation after Jesus healed the lame man. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. So unlike the hand that, G, that Peter laid on the lame man to raise him up, they laid hands on them and put them in jail, locked them up until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of men, and this word men in the Greek can also mean people, to be inclusive of women, it would be like the same people, and it can be people, men or women. And there, I'm sorry, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So now we have at least 8,000 plus people who have already responded, the Holy Spirit has moved, and they have responded. So we see that Peter, because of his profession, was locked up. Is anybody in our culture today, our nations, are any locked up because of their belief in the Word of God? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. But we are also told in verses 5 through 8, that Peter and John were filled up 
Would you say that with me? With the Holy Spirit, not filled up with anger, not filled up with resentment, not filled up with pride. Look what we did. Can you? No. What were they filled up with? And ladies, this is the message. This is the word of God to you and me. They were filled up with the Holy Spirit. Let's read the word in verses 5 through 8. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. In other words, all the big bricks were there. And all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, front and center, they began to inquire, By what power, in what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders, and he is going to go on with this. This is the extremely pivotal, important point for you and me throughout the book of Acts. Filled up with the Holy Spirit, he is now going to speak up. And ladies, one thing that's very important for us to recognize is that Peter was filled up. We keep seeing this before he proclaims anything. Have you noticed that? Filled up, then he speaks up. I do not think when we studied in Acts 3 that he went up to the temple. I do not think he went up to the temple to get filled up. I believe Peter was already filled up with the Holy Spirit when he showed up because he was already prepared to raise that man in the name of Jesus. And right here, think of your circumstance. Think of some despairing situation you may be going through. Peter had to have been filled up while he was in jail because he shows up front center, filled up. The filling of the Holy Spirit in us is not dependent on circumstances. It is not dependent on how your spouse treats you. It is not dependent on if you have sick children. No. The filling of the Holy Spirit is between you and God. And we will learn more about this filling of the Holy Spirit as we progress through the books of Acts. He speaks up in verses 9 through 17, and he says, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, and here goes Peter's sermon again, right? <laughs> you know the sermon. He says, the de- this declaration, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, This man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men under heaven by which you must be saved. You must be saved. Right here, oh, there's just so many depths and layers to the scripture. Peter Petros, who Jesus named him, which means rock, 
is standing in the hall of hewn stone. It was one of the buildings, it was a basilica that ran along the north part of the temple. The temple was to be built with stones outside of the temple area and they were cut and then they were brought in so that there would not be the sound of the hammer or the anvil in the cutting of the stones in the building of the temple. And so we had Peter, Petros, the rock on which Jesus is going to build his church in the hall of cute stone, the hall of, of ungodliness, the hall where the rocks and the anvils had been heard, not the unhewed stone of the temple of God. And Jesus was just so clever beyond words. I, I just can't wait till I get to be in his presence because all the plays and the interplays of the words that he has, he can have Peter bring up any, any prophecies, but he's there with them. And that was what that very first graphic I had for you. The rocks, he is the chief cornerstone, so the rock and the hall of man-made rock buildings is saying, you rejected, you rejected the true spiritual rock. You rejected him. Peter is standing up to him. And when he says, by what authority or in what name have you done this? This was the exact same question that these men, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these scribes, this 71 member Sanhedrin, which was composed of all of this. This is what the council was. They were representatives of the people, representatives of the, of the tribes. They were the elders or notes. We'll talk about that. But he is there and he is saying to them in response, the very same, well, he actually didn't say the very same response that Jesus said, but they asked Jesus the very same thing. I want power and authority for you doing this. And they are now asking Peter the very same thing. As we continue reading in verses 13, and going on, we see that as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. This means they were not schooled in the religious law and the scriptures. They were not rabbis. They did not have that rabbinical training. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing there with him. So we've got exhibit A. This man with probably more, less muscles in his legs because he's never used his leg muscles. He's been this way, we learned, for 40 years, which we could go off on another 30 minutes about all the symbolism of the 40 years, the 40 days of praying, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the 40 days that Jesus fasted in the wilderness. 40 is a time of testing and trial and proving out. And so they are seeing this man having been healed. And verse 14, ladies, I love this. They had nothing to say in reply. Oh, do you remember in Luke 21 where Jesus told the disciples, he said, they will bring you before courts. They will bring you before kings and don't worry about what you prepared to say because I will give you the words at that time so that they don't have a reply. And that's happening. Now it's happening. 
Do you read those words? I love it. They had nothing to say, but why? Can we get an amen? amen? There is nothing that can come against the wisdom of God. But, verse 15, when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do? What shall we do with these men? But the fact, the fact, that they can't deal with something that's not a fact, but here they have a fact. And they say, the fact that a noteworthy miracle, it wasn't a small miracle, Peter's mother-in-law not having a headache anymore, it's a noteworthy miracle, they say. It happened. They, they said, what are we going to do? It's apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. They couldn't deny it. Verse 17, but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in his name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them, not warned, commanded. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter. <laughs> Say it with me, but Peter. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about the things that we have seen and we have heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. They were wanting to punish them, but they couldn't find any basis, it tells us in the scripture. Because they, all the people were glorifying God for what had happened. But a man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Let's stop here and let's see. Hey, even though they had been locked up, they had chosen to be filled up with the Spirit. And because they were filled up, they spoke up. And because they were able to stand up and speak up, they were able to explain that they couldn't stop speaking. And so they were freed up. And when they were freed up, where did they go? They went to meet up with believers. And we'll be getting to this in just a moment. And when they got together with the believers, what did they do? They lifted up their praise to God. They prayed up for God to take note of the threats and to give them confidence to speak. In verses 29 through 30. As you know, because you've studied, the place where they were was what? Shaken up. And what happened again? They were, read it, filled up with the Holy Spirit. And you know what the next point is. In order for them to be able to speak up with bold confidence. Friends, if we have not gotten the lesson yet, there's something wrong. Be filled up to speak up. Do we have that lesson? It is a biblical principle that we are able to lay our hands on, get our minds around believers who are filled up with the Spirit, speak up. And we are filled up with the Spirit in order to be filled up. So we see how they were told, speak no more in Jesus' name. Friends, this had political, religious, spiritual, emotional, eternal implications. We need to take ourselves back there to that culture, to that people, to those people. What about my friend? 
the lame man might have said. The other paralytic, who doesn't? What about my friend? The other paralytics who do not have the opportunity to be healed. What about the others who are sick? Because there were other people who wanted to be healed. And they are being told, speak no more. Friends, if you and I speak no more, there are other souls who are not going to be eternally healed for salvation. What Peter and John do has eternal consequences for people. And it does for people that we know, the many people who do not know Christ. Now, we have a great divide. Over on one side, you see the concrete. They want, the council priests want Jesus to be dead behind that tomb. And if he's not the tomb, they want him dead in the ground. They want him dead, dead, dead. Say it with me, dead. But Christ priests, who we're described as, are saying, Jesus is alive. Say it with me. Jesus is alive. So there's a great divide. And there is a doctrine of the resurrection here that you and I must get. We must understand as students of the scripture what the doctrine of the resurrection is. The, the doctrine, which means simply means teaching, the doctrine of the resurrection has two sources. Ephesians 4.14 says man's doctrine, which comes about through deceitful scheming, and we are warned every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, deceitful scheming. And then there is the doctrine of God, sound doctrine. Say it with me, sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 4.3 says the doctrine of God, our Savior, in Titus 2.10, sound doctrine. So there are two sources of doctrine in our world. And believers are instructed to be constantly nourished on sound doctrine. That's what we're doing in here right now. But believers are also instructed to speak sound doctrine. That's why it's important for every one of us to speak sound doctrine. We are also to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. So it is important for us to know sound doctrine, to speak it, to live it. And we are warned in Ephesians 4.14 to no longer be tossed like children and carried by every wind of doctrine. And we are told in 2 Timothy 4.3, girls, we better hurry up and get busy because there will come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. They will not like it. Instead, they will accumulate people around themselves who go with the deceitful doctrine. How many of you can say, oh my goodness, in America, in just the last few years, we've seen so much deceitful scheming going on before our eyes. We need our engines in overdrive so that we can be carriers of the word of God. Now, the doctrine of resurrection was foretold by the prophets, Psalm 16, 10, and 11. The doctrine of resurrection was foretold by Christ. He repeatedly told the disciples he was going to die and be resurrected. And it was announced by the angels when the women came to the tomb and they said, He is not here. He is risen just as angels announced his birth. And angels said he would be returning when they watched his ascension. They also announced his resurrection. Now, this is the fun stuff. 
Well, what was that resurrection body of Jesus like? Well, we know it was a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 and 45 tell us that we know it also had breath. Because he breathed on the disciples, remember? Jesus' resurrection body was not restrained by walls or doors. He could just be there behind locked doors and walls, John 20, 19 tells us. The resurrection body was visible. It was recognizable. They could tell it was Jesus. He appeared to more than 500 people. And if you have somebody that says, well, I don't believe in the resurrection, you say, may I share with you 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 8. And just have it handy somewhere in your pocket and whip it out. <laughs> it was talked about, taught about. Jesus' resurrection body was touchable. Hands, feet, sides. He cooked fish. He ate fish. He walked. He could be followed. As I said, no earthly restraints. He could vanish. And Acts 1.3 says there were many convincing proofs of his resurrection body. God raised his body a sinless, glorified body. And friends, he is going to raise your body and my body sinless and glorified. Can we have a Lord, thank you, God. The resurrection is proof. And this is why the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection is so important. It is proof. It is proof. It cannot be denied. And the lame man is healed. And it is proof. Jesus is the author of life that has no power. It is proof that God accepted Christ's death for sin. It is proof. It is symbolic of our justification, regeneration, and resurrections. Christ is the first fruits, the first fruits, the firstborn of the dead, and everyone who follows him is coming after the first fruit of Jesus. I know some of you are trying to write this down and remember it is being recorded, so you need to watch the recording and go through it slowly. You can do that. Oh, this is my favorite part. <laughs> Philippians 3.10. The resurrection, this is a quote, the resurrection is not only a fact, but it was a mighty factor. The doctrine became a dynamic. Say that with me. The doctrine became a dynamic. Say that with me. Like the doctrine became a dynamic. Thus, Paul speaks of the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. Philippians 3:10. And friends, why this is so important to me is because some of you have heard my testimony. But I had believed in my heart that Jesus was the Son of God and He died on the cross for my sins. But it was when I was on a mission trip in Worcester, Massachusetts with my church youth group and and I don't have time to tell you the whole story but the Lord showed me that my good human efforts to accomplish witnessing and sharing him was not enough and I, I went into a chapel by myself and it was dark and the cross was lit up and I sat there and just looked at the cross and the Lord had me open the Bible to this passage and it's where uh, Paul is saying that even though he had had all the religious training and all of that, and the knowledge here, whatever, 
and right here in this verse, Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I sat there that afternoon by myself in that chapel, and I prayed, and I said, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And he did something. It was different. It was different after that. I began experiencing a power that was not just me being a good Christian girl. It was his power in me. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the resurrection is proven. The power of the resurrection is unstoppable. Peter said we can't stop speaking. And the power of the resurrection is available to you. And every believer, because every believer has the Holy Spirit. They've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Holy Spirit is what we do when we desire to be filled with his spirit so we can follow, obey, serve, speak in his name. And so this word know is very important. Philippians 3.10, when Paul says, I want to know him, there's lots of different um, Greek words and, and, and explanations for the word know. The Greek word in Philippians 3.10 is to know through firsthand experience. I want to know Jesus through firsthand, firsthand. Not through Peter's experience. I want to know it firsthand experience. I want to be able to perceive him through my senses. And friends, the feeling of the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. It is not a feeling. But I will tell you this. When I'm on my knees and I'm asking him to fill me, and I'm telling him I want to be used for his kingdom and his glory, or I'm sitting there and I'm saying, Lord, I don't know how you want me to divide up this chapter. And I'm there in his presence, and I'm reading it, and I'm, Lord, I don't know how you want this. There is a perception in the senses by which he directs us. Debbie, do it this way. Teach the doctrine of the resurrection. It's a dividing and it's being watered down now. There is a perception through the senses. It comes from an active relationship, commentator Vines says. It is gained by a relationship of intimacy and connection. And I didn't put this up here, but this word know is used in the same context as sexual. They, he knew her intimately. It's referring to a husband and a wife having physical union. And friends, what happens in that experience, you cannot know a person more than in that, that experience. How filled do you want to get with Jesus? Because he wants all of you. He wants all of you. Jesus gives believers his powerful Holy Spirit to be his vessel through whom he rescues souls from Satan's domain for heaven. You 
are his girl. You are his bride. And he wants to talk through you. Just like he stood before the Sanhedrin and he talked. It wasn't Peter preaching that sermon. It wasn't Peter declaring the word. It was Jesus telling those council men. You. You. Rejected the cornerstone. That was Jesus using Peter, his rock, to be the instrument. I don't know how many of you have Bluetooth speakers, but you can have a Bluetooth speaker that just looks like a nothing, but you can make a connection so that through that Bluetooth speaker comes any voice, any music, any podcast that you want to come. It isn't a Bluetooth speaker who is speaking the Bluetooth speaker is simply the object through whom your favorite music is played or your sermon is listened to. It was Peter standing there, the Bluetooth speaker, <laughs> with Jesus' voice coming through him. Oh, it's so wonderful. So we see him on this doctrine that the resurrection is of critical importance. The chief priest is dead. Christ priest Jesus is resurrected. Now let's talk very briefly about the council priest versus the chief priest. The council priests were emotionally greatly disturbed. Educationally, they were schooled. Earthly, they had power and wealth, and they were threatening. Christ priest, emotional state, confident. Their educational level, they had not been into the rabbi school, but they had been schooled by Jesus himself. Their earthly position, they were fishermen, not a common people. And as we've said, compared to the rabbis, uneducated. The council priests, their spiritual condition, John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, and they were unrepentant in court 12. Do we see these? High officials responding like the other people did when Peter preached, you crucified. No. Instead, there is no repentance after Peter's sermon. We see also that their mental state, they're smart, they're observant, they're amazed, but they're worldly-minded, and their companions, they confer with one another. Christ priest, their spiritual condition, filled with the Holy Spirit, their mental state, they have a mind of Christ. They're taught by the Holy Spirit. And their companions, they confer with the Lord and with the believers. So let's wind up here because this is very important. I mean, Acts 4, we have already looked at how in verse 16, the priest said, a noteworthy miracle has taken place. We cannot deny it. Friends, this is one of the most important takeaways for you today. We cannot deny it. They said we, we, we have, we're not capable of denying it. Christ priest in 420, when they are born to not speak anymore of Jesus, they say in verse 20, we cannot stop. The priests are saying we can't deny it. And people say we can't stop speaking. Now, friends, your commentary and others will say that this is an issue of civil disobedience, and I'm going to say it's more. It's not a matter of civil disobedience right here. There are cases of civil disobedience. Yes, this can be an example of one, but we must understand when Peter says we cannot stop speaking, he means we can't. The fire is 
burning. I am not capable of not. I'm not, I'm not the one generating the fire. I'm not the one generating the words. It's like in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, where after Jeremiah had been beaten and put in spots by the priests for speaking the word of God to them, Peter said, if I, I'm sorry, Jeremiah said, if I say I will not remember him, I will speak no more in his name, then the fire burning in my heart, I cannot control. I cannot endure it within my bones. I have to speak. And that is what Peter was saying. The priest couldn't deny it, and Peter couldn't stop speaking. I want us to close by us lifting our voices to God in one accord. So let's read together what these who gathered pray, O Lord.
I don't, I don't like my carnal nature, God. I love yours. Open our eyes to see, open our mouths to speak. We want to be your hands and feet. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.